Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you on yet another glorious sunny day in southwest London. They are coming thick and fast at us now. We have had an absolutely catastrophic day of weather since we last came to you, but that is all behind us. The sun is shining. Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm back in southwest London. And can confirm that the weather is glorious. Can confirm that the weather is glorious. And I promise not to take so many digs at David in this podcast. Do you? Oh, let's pack this this thing in. I I almost felt bad about it on on Monday. And because David was, I believe, the first person to listen. He was sending sending us messages about it. He sent us a message about 30 seconds in going, guys, this is great. And we were thinking, "Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Haven't got to the tough stuff yet. Um, look, I will make no such promises. I'm just going to see <laughs> see where this road takes us. David is still swanning around southwest France. He's back tomorrow. Is that right? A sat- a Saturday, I believe. Saturday, Saturday, an extra day to top up the tan for mm. David Law, and he'll be back with us on Monday's pod when we will be reviewing everything that's happened over finals weekend in Canada and presumably already talking about some matches that have happened in Cincinnati because that is how tennis rolls at this time of year. And that's Billie Jean. She'd like her presence to be known and felt. Consider it done, Billie Jean. Um, But this pod is coming to you at the halfway stage of action in Montreal and Toronto. The men are in Toronto. The women are in Montreal. I've been to both those events and... um, I like them both very, very much. I think Montreal is my preference. It's just I, I love Montreal as a city. It's it's fantastic. Um, and I just think I really like those events. I'd like to throw that out there. I'm sure mm. I've said it before, but I just think think they're really great events to have on the calendar. Yeah, hard agree. Can you can you compare and contrast the vibe between the two? Like, are they are they quite? similar or is there is there a real difference they are quite similar um i've been to montreal a lot more recently than i've been to toronto and i've been to montreal twice whereas i have only done the toronto event once so montreal is just far more technicolor Mm. in my mind um and the city is more kind of technicolor i really like toronto as a city but it's more american Whereas Montreal, I love the contrast of sort of Americanness and Canadianness and Frenchness and history and modernity. It's I really love it as a city. Um, Toronto, the venue is quite far out of town. That was a, a big, a big memory, and I stayed close-ish to the venue and I covered it, so I felt less mm. of a sense of being being in the city than I did with with Montreal. Um, but both really well attended, sort of great, great fan events. I always think they're really, really embraced by by the cities that they're held in, regardless of whether it's the the WTA or or the ATP that's coming into town that year. Um, just before we get into all things Montreal and Toronto events that are, of course, part of the d- does the US Open series still officially exist? <laughs> or does it only spiritually exist now? That's a very good question because you used to get like a bonus 
surprised yeah. me, didn't you, if, if you yeah. won the US Open series. And I liked that. I liked the, the branding of it. I liked the coherence of it as, a, as an arc. Well, it, it certainly still exists spiritually because I did notice Igor Sviontek yesterday put on Instagram start of the US Open series right. for me. So it's still a thing. And for us, eager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but possibly not in reality a thing. I might be promoting something right now that does not, in fact, exist. Let's promote something that definitely does exist. <laughs> I think it does. Mate, possibly exist. Definitely, <laughs> definitely has existed in the recent past. Um Let's promote something that definitely does exist, and that is the US Open. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association with, to give it its full name, the US Open Tennis Championships, the main draw of which takes place August 28th to September 10th. It is one of the world's highest attended annual sporting events and renowned for providing fans with an unparalleled experience, equal parts sport and spectacle. I can certainly co-sign to to that, having been there as a fan twice um, before I started going uh, to cover the sport professionally. In 2023, the US Open is celebrating 50 years of equal prize money for men and women. In 1973, the US Open became the first of the four Grand Slam tournaments to offer equal prize money, a pioneering move that shook the sport and began to reshape it towards a more equitable future. I mean, you think about the fact the 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 prize money disparity, Matt, that we have in Canada right now that we talked about on Monday, to think that in 1973... The US Open were offering equal prize money. I just, that was so radical at the time. Um, and unfortunately, in some quarters, it's still a radical concept. Um, the US Open kicks off with Fan Week, which begins Tuesday, August 22nd, and runs to Sunday, August 27th. Admission on the grounds is free, and the week provides six days of amazing tennis, star study events, and activities for all. There are also ticketed featured events during Fan, fan Week that you don't want to miss. We'll be there during Fan Week, won't we, Matt? So... Mm. Just also bonus potential opportunity to to bump into me and Matt. Uh, (laughs) Stars of the Open on Wednesday, August 23rd. This does not feature me or Matt, Uh, but it will feature exhibition matches, including defending US Open champion Carlos Alcaraz, Alina Svitolina, Francis Tiafo, Maria Sacchari, Chris Eubanks, Jessica Pagula, Matteo Berrettini, Bianca Andrescu, and very lucky to be in this lineup, John McEnroe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that took a turn, that list. Didn't it? Bianca Andreescu and John McEnroe. Um, Flavours of the Open, the US Open signature culinary event is back on Thursday, August 24th. Don't know how I've missed this in the past, Matt, but will be attending this year. It'll offer attendees a wide range of food and beverage offerings, uh, coupled with celebrity chef and top tennis talent on the court. Uh, TBC on Bianca Andrescu and John McEnroe for that one. (laughs) To learn more about everything happening at the 2023 US Open, visit usopen.org. And uh, I think it's safe to say, Matt, that we are pumped. We fly a week on Monday to New York. Mm. How has that happened so quickly? I know. I always think it's a really long gap between Wimbledon and the US Open, but it really isn't. And, And yeah, when you go for fan week as we are, it's even shorter. We are tennis fans, first and foremost, so Mm. we simply must be there for fan week. Uh, Right, let's get into it with Montreal and Toronto. (laughs) What a great place that is. Um, I'm not going to start in any particular location. I'm going to start with a theme, Matt. I was going to say, would you like to know what the theme is, but you wrote the agenda. So this, this, this bit would work better if David were here, but alas... (laughs) <laughs> well, well, yes. Can I tell you? I I was going through the through the draws so far and the results I've seen. And normally we do ATP or WTA first, and then we move on to the other part of the draw. And it just felt like there were some real themes in in both draws. And honestly, because my face this week has been has been like that meme of Ian Wright. You know, when he when he sees his PE teacher that he thinks has oh. died. And I'm like... Matt, I can't, I, I, 
I actually have teared up just at the mere mention. <laughs> you have that. Mm. That gets me like nothing else almost. Mm. But I've been like Jennifer Brady, Caroline Wozniacki. <laughs> you thought they all died? <laughs> Milos Raonic, Gilmore Feast. Like I wasn't. I wasn't prepared to be talking so much about those players, which we're going to be like. What timeline are we in? It's been it's been really confusing, but also really great to honestly have all of those players back. I've, mm. I've enjoyed watching. I've enjoyed watching all of them this week. Yeah, Matt enjoys watching Milos Raonic in the year twenty twenty three. What what a world! What a world! Um, should we start with Jen Jennifer Jenny Brady? Mm. Um, who beat Elena Ostapenko 7-6 in the third, a completely Ostapenko scoreline, 7-6, six, six, love 6-7-6, six, six. Um, and then lost Brady in three incredibly tight sets spanning over two days to Elena Rabakina. Um, she took the first set on the tie break before the match got uh, rained off on Tuesday night. Well, it was, and then... well, it was rained off halfway through the tie break. Was it? Yeah, it was rained off at at four two, and then uh, Brady came out and and won three of the first four points the next day and and took that first set. Yikes! Okay, uh, if it's not abundantly clear, I tuned in at One Love <laughs> in the in the second set yesterday and uh, watched the remainder of the match, um, uh, which which was won by Rabakina, but. And and look, the, the, there's a story there. Elena Rabakina kind of not being quite at her absolutely fluent best that she was at the start of the season, but finding a way to win anyway is, is quite compelling. But just staying on on Brady for a moment, it, in lots of ways, we're going to come on to talk about Caroline Wozniacki in a moment, but in lots of ways I find Brady's popping back up on the scene and becoming relevant as surprising, if not more so, than Caroline Wozniacki. I had... To quote Taylor Swift, I forgot you existed, honestly. <laughs> she was so far out of my mind and that happened so quickly. The the the, the whiplash from her being a Grand Slam finalist, for, she went from journeywoman, I know that's not the right term, but just, you know, to, to, to illustrate this point, she went from journeywoman to Grand Slam contender to disappeared off the face of the planet, seemingly in the space of about nine months and then she was out two pretty much two solid years. She had disappeared from the scene, which is longer than she was ever really relevant on the scene. And now here she is. And it it was interesting with her comeback, whether she would pick up where she re- left off from like the, the rejuvenated part of her career or from the sort of incarnation before that, where she was just sort of there and not really not really a contender at the top level. And it's obviously really early days and she she has ended up losing in the second round to Elena Rabakina and yet still I get the feeling that she's she's potentially picking up where she left off Matt yeah I've I've been shocked by how how good she's looked she's played she's played four matches in this comeback so far and beat Angelina Kalinina in her first match back and she's she's a player who's been who's been in some good form this year Got kind of blown away by Madison Keys, but then beat Yelena Ostapenko, and that was a that was a really uh, sort of poignant win because it was against Ostapenko two years ago that she injured her knee in Cincinnati and has been out since then. So a bit of sort of redemption there, and then pushes Elena Rabakina, the world number three, so close. You know, had had a break point in that in that third set at three all, was two points away from winning in the second set, and. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there because Jennifer Brady has always just been a player that's been really difficult to grasp because of how how short a span it was where she was legitimately great, you know, reaching that US Open semi-final and then the Australian Open final. Um and yet to quote David, I said I wouldn't take a dig, but here I am. Um was that just a middling American having a run in the middle of a pandemic? Like, 
we still didn't really know. And then we never really got to find out because she was injured for so long. And yet, exactly as you said, she's come back playing closer, I think, to that level that she sh- showed in those in those really good runs that she had. And just a reminder that there aren't that many players on tour like her. The way she, the way she hits the ball, especially the forehand. I remember, I remember a big talking point a couple of years ago when when she was at her peak was about how she hits the ball more like an ATP player with the mm. amount of spin that she puts on the ball. And yesterday, seeing seeing Rabatkina really struggle with that. You know, Rabatkina was being pushed back. And Rabatkina was not able to cope with the with the kick serve of of Brady in a way that we see Rabatkina normally just get on top of people's serves and and hit them for winners. So I was really impressed by Brady and kind of hadn't realised how much how much she added to the tour with her game. And I think it's great that she's back. She's she's a fun personality as well. A lot of fun reactions on court. Um, and yeah, I think. Um, I think she's going to be a nightmare round one draw for for someone at the US Open quite possibly you know she's going to be she's going to be going in there unseeded. Mm, she had to dig pretty deep I thought Elena Rabakina and every time you thought that 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 Brady was fading or that her her charge had had run its course she sort of nip, nipped back at her heels in a in a really pesky mm. way, you know, Rebecca broke to to serve out the second set, and Brady played the most extraordinary game to break her immediately back and take it into a tie break. And the same at the start of the third set, when you're expecting a landslide for the far higher ranked player, and Brady's just again nipping at her heels the whole way, making Rebecca really uncomfortable and forcing her to raise her game. She had to produce some serious winners yesterday. Um, Rabatkina, she had to take a lot more risks, um, I thought, than than she was doing at the start of the match in order to to win it. Um, and I was very impressed with her. She's she, she's she's got a different service motion. I'm not tell me tell me I'm not imagining this, Matt. I think the actual motion in terms of everything from throwing the ball up in the air to hitting it is the same, but something about the the build-up, what she does with mm. her racket and hand, I suppose it's all racket and hand, she's doing a sort of stirring motion rather than a straight up and down, and I don't understand it at all. Why would you change that serve at all, even if it's not in a in a way that alters the actual hitting of the ball? Or maybe I'm imagining it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you you pointed it out. We both went back to have a look at some... At some footage of Rebecca serving recently, just to make sure we weren't going mad and our eyes weren't deceiving us. And yeah, there definitely is a sort of more sort of round movement rather than rather than a straight take back. I mean, the only thing I would say is she has been playing with with strapping on her mm. shoulder for for quite a while now. I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't seem to have been a big issue. You know, it's not. I don't think it's kept her out of any matches, or you know, she's still been serving brilliantly. Uh, when she's been playing, but perhaps it, perhaps it's a little something to do with that. I don't know. That's that's pure speculation. I wouldn't have thought so because, as you said, the actual the actual motion still feels very much the same. It's the sort of it's almost a preparation for the motion, which mm. is a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, something something to look at definitely because yeah, otherwise it doesn't it doesn't really make too much sense because yeah, she's she's got the best serve in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's gone full Barbie with her um, with her kit. Well, it, well, well, it was very Barbie Oppenheimer, wasn't like. it? Because it was it was Rebecca in the pink and, and Brady. And, oh yes, in the very black. Good. Yeah, very good. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B two B either. That's why if you're a B two B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. 
Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Shall we move on to talk about Caroline Wozniacki? Keep up the retro theme. Uh, 1,292 days away from tennis, came back to beat Kim Birrell, 6-2, 6-2, then lost yesterday to Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosheva, 6-2, 7-5. Um, she wasn't having a good time yesterday in that first set against Vondrosheva, who I, I think is playing extremely well um, on the basis of this one match that I've seen of her since Wimbledon. Um, but Carolyn Wozniacki... I mean, it's like no time has passed, isn't it? I don't know if her level is going to be good enough to do damage at the top of the game anymore. I do feel like the game has moved on a bit. But I feel like she's probably going to be able to refine the form that she had towards the end of the, the first incarnation of her career on the basis of the evidence that, that we've already seen I mean Kim Birrell okay that's n- not the toughest opposition but we're talking about her first match in nearly four years right it she she was good I thought she was pretty good yeah she was uh I've been I've been thinking a lot about these sorts of comebacks recently because obviously we're doing a we're doing a um tennis relive show for friends very soon on on Kim Kleisters who who came back from from having a child and actually at this exact time of year and and played two events and then won the US Open. And we've obviously seen Alina Svitolina do it recently as well and and play really well at Roland Garros and at Wimbledon. And I think, think therefore, I've sort of maybe assumed that uh, Caroline Wozniacki will be able to do something similar. You know, not that Svitolina is doing something that Kim Clijsters did. But I suppose the whole point is, you know, the whole reason we're reliving Kim Clijsters doing that is because it was so remarkable. And Svitolina actually played a lot of lower level events first before coming back on onto the tour. And and she did take some losses and it, it was a few months before she sort of found her top level. I think I think Wozniacki well, she wrote in her in her essay didn't she announcing her comeback that she has pretty high expectations of herself straight away and I would say from these first two matches like definitely she's gonna be able to compete and win matches and you know she has come back pretty much the same if if Svitolina's kind of transformed and is really hitting that forehand Wozniacki all the same traits are still there you know she's got an amazing backhand great movement 
uh, really patient from the baseline still. The forehand still kind of sits there. It's still a little bit of a shaky mm. shot, I would say. Um, but she was good in that first match, came through it very comfortably. And then she was getting taken apart by Vondrosheva, mm. set in, a set in the double break. She looked a bit shell-shocked, didn't she? she like, she, oh, I, I thought I was... <laughs> yeah. And, I thought I was there. But then you saw the grit and the fighting spirit mm. that she's always had. And suddenly she went from three love down to four three ahead, won an absolutely epic game in that second set um, and was playing well, really was playing well and kind of going toe-to-toe with the woman and champion, uh, but couldn't couldn't sustain it. Looked looked a little short physically, I would say, which, again, maybe isn't that surprising considering she's not played for so long. I don't think you can replicate that that match... Uh, toughness that you need in training you know you can do all the training you like but you can't take into account nerves and adrenaline that you get when you're playing a match um, but I, I feel like I trust Wozniacki in in that in that department mm. to sort of find that as she plays more matches uh, so so some fairly encouraging signs I would say and from a Vondrosheva perspective I thought it was interesting that this match was not on the main stadium in in Montreal, you know, yeah. it's, the, it's the recent Wimbledon champion against the former Sam champion and number one, whose comeback's kind of one of the biggest stories of this U.S. Open series. Um, and yeah, it wasn't on the main stadium. And I kind of thought, I don't think Vondrosheva minds that. Mm, she's. I didn't feel like she was. She's gonna go full crow cheek of her about it. <laughs> no, or even Rabatkina, who was. Who was a mm. bit annoyed last? I mean, she was. I think she had a real reason to be annoyed. She got some. She got some really poor scheduling. Um, but I think Vondrosheva wants to stay under the radar. Yeah, when I saw that I, scheduling, I really raised my eyes at it, and then realised, of course, it's because Leila Fernandez was playing Beatriz Haddad Meyer at that time, and last Canadian standing, I think, and that is a great match, and it turned out mm. to be a great match. Um, but yeah, it, I did raise my eyebrows at it today. You've got Rebecca Stevens on the second court. Wow. Which, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's you've got Kvitova Bencic on the second court. I mean, it's an indicator of how, how stacked the draw is and how stacked these schedules are. Thank you, Billie Jean. How stacked these schedules <laughs> are um, in at one week, 1,000 events. And I, I love it, personally. But... Um, and yeah, as you said, I don't think Vondrosheva minds one bit. I thought she was really good yesterday, really, yeah. really good. And and sort of forcing Wozniacki to be the aggressor, actually, mm. like sort of putting Wozniacki out of her comfort zone a bit, which is something that Vondrosheva knows how to do, kind of against everyone. She's so deceptive in that way. Yeah, and I, I don't think we can underestimate that. You know, winning your first Grand Slam title is a big deal. And she's won a couple of matches straight away off the back of that. I think that's, I think that's pretty mm. impressive. I do, I think Wozniacki can, can be a solid top 20 player. I do. Mm. Um, I, I'm pretty convinced of that on the basis of what I've seen, that she can pick up where she left off. She's got the game, she's got the grit, she's got the experience. I don't think she has the weapons in 2023. You know, she's obviously not come back Svitolina style with a rebranded game. I think that game is extremely unlikely to win Grand Slams or get back to the very top of the sport now. Um, But we'll see. We will see. Uh, I would have said the same about Marketa Vondrosheva. Um, (laughs) And look where we are. Um, Staying with a theme, it's it's your big moment, Matt, to wax lyrical about Milos Raonic. (laughs) He's won back-to-back matches, um, beat Francis Tiafoe in three sets, and then backed that up, um, which I find just as impressive. I know a victory over Taro Daniel doesn't sound as sexy but for a comeback player with very little sort of physical or emotional muscle memory um of winning big long matches i I find it very impressive that he's he's backing this stuff up um and yeah i'm quite pleased for him really i don't know i don't know what to do with the milos (laughs) raonic comeback but i'm very (laughs) 
but for, I'm chuffed for him. Well done, yeah. Milos. Yeah, I I feel the same. When I said I I enjoyed watching Milos Raonic this week, I th- I think what I meant was I enjoyed his match against Francis Tiafo, and I. <laughs> Do you mean I, I probably I enjoyed, enjoyed watching a Francis Tiafoe match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, but I mean, it's nice for him. You know, he, he was really emotional after that after that mm. match against Tiafo. Uh, he said he said he said finally stuff sort of coming together for him in a way that for a few years it hasn't. You know, and and he, he's he's healthy at the moment. It doesn't sound to me like he's going to play on for that much longer I mean he, he did say that it's sort of I think it's still a big effort to get his body ready for matches I think he is still in some pain when he plays um, he's sort of keeping that pretty vague and open about about when he might might stop but yeah it was, a, it was an emotional what, what moment what body part is it that's I think I feel like he's had so many it. it was hip it was hip for a long time wasn't it but I feel yeah in my head kind of his whole body body just fell apart and said no you can't do yeah, this anymore I, th- I, th- I think there was an Achilles injury at right. one point a toe as well so yeah I mean it's been it's been all over um but his mum and dad were in the crowd and that was a oh, that was no, a, that got me yeah I thought it would I didn't mm. I didn't do that thing of saying Catherine have you seen this because I knew you would yes. have seen it yes I've seen it <laughs> um, um and honestly like he's He's going to be hard to stop if he's serving like he is. I mean, he's hit fifty aces through two matches, and and a win against Francis Tiafoe on on a on a hard court is a very legit win. And uh, yeah, let's see how how long he can keep it going. But as you said, I'm I'm just pleased for him. Mm, it was it was quite interesting seeing him that emotional, wasn't it? Because in his peak, at his peak, he was kind of accused of being quite robotic not not just in his playing style but you know he had the famous i'm the ceo of milos raonic inc which is you know very clinical way of expressing your attitude towards your career right he was he did at least appear outwardly quite clinical about things like i can't think of many uh moments of or any moments of outpouring like that it was very touching uh, another player who's kind of indicated that we need to enjoy him while we can because he doesn't plan to play on for that much longer is Guillermo Fies, who has genuinely put in a couple of really vintage performances. He's beaten Christopher Eubanks and he backed it up yesterday to beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in two straight sets, a match that I didn't watch too much of because it was on at the same time as Rabatkina yesterday. I did watch highlights of his win over Eubanks. Um, after what he did at the French Open, Matt, I wasn't expecting this at all. I thought his comeback was about ending on his own terms, having a moment like he had in Paris against Sebastian Baez and, you know, doing the greatest hits and making people feel things, making himself feel things and then stepping away in in a way that that he felt at peace with. I didn't think the comeback was going to be about finding vintage Germain Fils again. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> again, I agree. Like I didn't know he had this tennis in him still. Certainly to be able to sustain it. I mean, that's two really good performances now against Sitsipas. Honestly, he was brilliant it, there were there were a few moments of his of his shot making he did one of those sort of jumping f- huge forehands that he that he and sort of only he can hit and that actually sort of sparked a momentum change in that match he really sort of took off after that and and ended up being by far the better player but also he was he was blending that with just really really solid tennis and and sort of restricting Sitsipas and moving like he like he still can and turning defense into attack in a way that only sort of he can it was it was genuinely really really brilliant to see um for Sitsipas I think I think that turnaround from winning a title can be very tricky uh I've certainly heard Andre Rublev say that in the past like that that's the hardest match you play almost like 
the first match back after just winning a title in different conditions yeah. and a different we've location. Seen Dan Evans, Dan Evans succumb. also lost. So mm. I think that makes makes Coco Goff's couple of um, mm. makes Coco Goff's wins this week well, win against Katie Bolter. That was that was impressive yesterday. But just just on Sitsipas, I think um, a lot of forehand errors again yesterday. He didn't have his his best day at all. Uh, but we do have some clarity now from him about the coaching situation. We do. Yeah, he's describing Mark Philippoussis, who's very much there in uh, in Toronto as his head coach. He says his dad is still involved behind the scenes and they'll kind of be taking it in turns um, to be there with him. But he was very clear that Mark Philippoussis is his head coach and he said that someone with experience at the top of the game is something he's been missing um, in his team which I find quite an admission really Um, and you know he paid a lot of tribute to his dad said his dad's the reason he is where he is but I I think this is a a real positive step forward Mark Philippus is being there at all um, but I suspect for for Philippus to to go back into that fray, and I think it was a very frayed situation at, th- at the time he left behind the scenes. I think he, as well as Stefanos, probably needed that clarity about who's the lead voice here. Who are you going to listen to when there are competing voices in your ear? Mm. Yeah, he <laughs> he started his answer about Philippoussis by talking about how he, how he needed a a professional a, a former professional player on his team which, which I thought was a little bit of a dig at his mum who very much <laughs> very much is a former professional player but then he sort of clarified the sort of top end is, is his mum is, is having a really for. tough time at the moment because did you see the quote about Paola Badosa being the first woman he's ever respected oh god no I didn't hmm Anyway, let's move on from that quickly. <laughs> you keep springing these Sitsipas quotes on me that I'm not prepared Sorry. for. Um, Sorry. What I would say is that it sounds like the, the dad's still still going to be there at the slams and and everyone's it's going to be sort of all hands on deck at those slams and otherwise they're going to be splitting it. I mean, that, that worries me slightly a little bit, like, with that sort of slightly chaotic energy in the box, that that does feel like it's it's been holding Sitsipas back a little bit on court. Um, but generally, mm. I think it's I think it's a good move. I think it shows a lot of agency from Sitsipas. I think you know, it's a tough thing to do to suddenly say to your father, "Look, you need to be the number two now." Um, mm. Clearly, that he's been at a crossroads, and and he's I, I think he's made a quite a strong decision there. Um, the thing is, he needs to improve his game. Like as much as the, the the stuff in the box has been holding him back, I think also the fact that he hasn't got that much better over the last couple of years has been holding him back. Like we need to see tangible improvements on the backhand, on the slice, on the return, all the things we've been talking about for such a long time. But maybe Philippoussis is that guy to to concentrate on that and help with that, and just try and rediscover that spark again you know because Sitsipas used to play with with the spark Mm. and and a fearlessness and that has kind of gone Uh, but I really hope it can be back because I love seeing Sitsipas when he's at his best Uh, so it's Mm. it's really really interesting times Mm. yeah agreed Um, last stop on the retro tour is well does Andy Murray count as a throwback um, he's in this section of the agenda anyway, so let's press on. He's beaten Lorenzo Sonigo and Max Purcell back-to-back uh, and now faces Yannick Sinner later on today who beat Matteo Berrettini in two straight sets. I watched that Sonigo match and it was, oh, it was so windy. It was, it just looked awful. It just looked so unfun for everybody involved, even Andy Murray who... Loves a scrap. He doesn't mind generally things being messy. Uh, but in his post-match interview, he was like, yeah, that was 
<laughs> that was an unpleasant day at the office. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, I mean, the windy has been has been a real. That's been mm. another theme, actually. And I felt for um, I felt for Fergus Murphy, the umpire, because he was involved in a in an incident uh, during the Ranix Tiafo match that we mentioned, where it seemed like Tiafo had hit the net on his way to yes. to winning a point. I am coming back to the wind, by the way, but this is a this is a long. No, this this is we learned something about tennis. Right, we here. really did. Like yeah. it was a genuinely new rule. It it seemed like Tiafo had hit the net, and therefore that his 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 shot wasn't going to count because he'd hit the net before it had bounced twice, and that was the original call that Fergus Murphy made, and it was on set points. So it was a it was a huge moment, uh, but then Fergus Murphy remembered page 195 of the ATP handbook or whatever it is and realised that Tiafo had hit the part of the net on the other side of the singles post. So they sort of hit the part of the, the, part of the, the net the, that's, the that's the doubles part net. Of the net. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So therefore it didn't count. It didn't count as sort of part of the net and that was something that I think was quite difficult in the heat of the moment for Milos Raonic to get his head round, you know. Has he hit the net did, or has he not hit the net? He did not handle that news well, did he? <laughs> um, but I thought Fergus Murphy was brilliant in terms of brilliant. getting getting yeah. that information across. A real reminder of why we need umpires and how well they can explain a situation and all of that. It was great. But then... The reason I brought that up is because the next match that Fergus Murphy was involved in, in Toronto, the stand started falling down because of the windy. And I was, it, was just, it was just a sort of cursed 24 hours for Fergus Murphy being at the, the centre of attention. But again, I think he dealt with that well. And all of that mm, is to say... He's having a great week, isn't he? Fergus Murphy's having a great week and it's very windy in Toronto. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah. I didn't see that much of Murray beating Max Purcell in three sets because it was on very late last night. Purcell, incidentally, conqueror of Felix Auger, Aliassime, uh, in the opening match. Uh, the loss for Auger Aliassime coming on his 23rd birthday. Um, God, it's been an awful year, let's face it, for Felix, right? This is, this is a serious slump now and I know what I should do is remember remember what we said on the pod three days ago remember what I was saying on the pod three days ago about process not outcome and that being a a real thing and not just a cliche mantra that tennis players trot out and that's pretty much what Felix said after this defeat he said I'm doing the right things off the court I've just got to keep believing that it'll come and maybe it is that but I also I don't know what do you think Matt what do you think is is this a process not outcome situation and it will come you're the you're the Felix believer here (laughs) the thing is even with you know even with Dan Evans and that and that process not outcome thing even in the last few months, Dan Evans has changed his coach. Like, you know, there has been a mm. there has been a change, there has been a proactive move by Dan Evans to sort of try and do something different. And I'm not I'm not saying Felix Auger-Aliassime needs to change his coach. He might. I I don't know. But I mean it's it's never felt like a totally satisfactory relationship with with Tony Nadal. You know, see Tony Nadal wanting Rafa Nadal to beat Felix Auger-Aliassime uh, at the French Open and and how that played out and that's all there on on that Netflix episode. You know, it's it's always been a little uncomfortable. I think he, he's not with him all the time. He's obviously got Frederick Fontaine with him more often. Um, but I mean, to just flesh out how bad this run of form is for Auger-Aliassime, he's lost seven of his last eight matches. And the one win that he's had was against a player ranked 240 in the world. I mean, it's been it's been dreadful since sort of Miami time. Uh, he we know he was and, injured. And cru- well, yeah, cru- but crucially, but now uh, he's he says he, he said he was fit. He said yeah. he has he's been fit for a few weeks now. I know at Wimbledon 
Wimbledon, he was all wrong, wasn't he? And it sounded like he shouldn't really have been playing, but his mind just sounded scrambled at Wimbledon. Well, his mind didn't sound scrambled after this defeat. So, so, so everything's kind of your house is in order, and you're you're still losing to Max Purcell at home on yeah. your birthday. <laughs> He's, he, I mean, he's, he's he's lower than Max Purcell in the race now, which oh crikey, you know, I mean, Max Purcell has been has been playing well and did he's play well against year, Andy yeah. Murray, but you know, I I do still sort of think of him more as a doubles player, mm. um, but I don't know. There's something about Orgiali has seen when he's at his best that that is a sort of a focus and a poise about him, but. That can that can quite quickly, on the flip side, become a a real lack of spark again. I'm going to use that word, and a, almost a nervousness on the court. I, I I don't I don't trust him, and I don't think he trusts himself almost when he's playing like this. And I mean, he said that it's his, you know he's not thinking about a coaching change. The responsibility is all on him. Um, but it it really does feel like something needs to be Again, different. Again, that's and, different, isn't it? Because that's what you want to hear. You know, players taking responsibility and owning their agency over their careers, being mm. grown-ups. But equally, <laughs> you know, what's the definition of madness? Doing doing the same mm. thing over and over again and expecting the same result. Expecting a different result, rather. Sorry. Needed to needed to correct that. <laughs> he's got a one-dimensional game, you know. So if it, so it's it's not even like he's got many options on the court, mm. and it's it's really tough right yeah, now. That's the thing is it is a one-dimensional game. It should it should kind of be simple. It is. It's the players with more facets to their game that tend to take longer to mature mm. and figure them out and figure out how to deploy their tools. Tennis should be quite simple for Felix Auger-Aliassime and yet I get the sense that in his mind it's not as simple as it should be. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's tough scenes. Tough scenes for him right now. Um, staying with Canadian tennis, tennis for a moment, Milos Raonic is the last man standing and Leila Fernandez is the last woman standing. Um, we had a Gabrielle Diallo beating Dan Evans before losing out to Alex de Menor. Never heard of him, Matt. Had you heard of him before he received a wild card and beat Dan Evans? Uh, well, yes, because of my... Oh. Uh, you know, my Davis Cup Ah, oh, yeah, Davis <laughs> Of course. Of yeah, course. So, very talented. And, yeah. Uh, very tall I, is, is, is something I know about him. Um, I, I saw him sort of behind the scenes in, in Malaga last year, sort of walking, walking around. Very tall, big, big physical presence. I think he can impose himself. Um, and yeah, they had this... They had this uh, tribute to the Canadian Davis Cup team on on night one in in Toronto, uh, and Denis Shapovalov was there, even though he's injured at the moment. Felix Ojeliasim, Vasek Pospisil, Gabriel Diallo was was part of that as well. And yeah, it it felt it felt a bit weird, you know, that there they are celebrating that great achievement, you know, winning the Davis Cup. That was huge for Canadian tennis, and mm. yet. You know, Shapovalov and Ojeliasim are not having the the seasons that they would have wanted off the back of that. They're not really having maybe the careers that some would have thought they would have had. And then the the sort of one person who wasn't involved in that in that ceremony because he wasn't part of the team was Milos Raonic, who who's the last last Canadian standing and sort of still is probably the best. Canadian male player that there's that there's been, you know, Auger-Aliassime mm. and and Shapovalov are trying to trying to reach his his height still. I would say so. Um, yeah, just a, just a bit of a weird time for Canadian tennis, I would say as well. Vasek Pospisil incidentally launched his logo this week. Lost to Matteo Arnaldi. <laughs> mm. 
lot, lots of people sent me the uh, possible logo <laughs> news. Um, Leila Fernandez, incidentally, last woman standing in Montreal. She now plays Danielle Collins, who was involved in, you'll be surprised to hear, folks, aggro last night against um, Maria Sachary, which is more surprising to hear. And it was actually a, a Maria Sachary incident that sort of provoked it all, if you like. Maria Sachary hit the ball away, not directly into the crowd. She hit it into the court, didn't she? And then it bounced up into the crowd. Um, Daniel Collins was very concerned that the umpire had not noticed or punished this action, so made sure to bring it to the umpire's attention. Um, You hit the ball into the stands, Maria. You almost hit someone. Uh, There was a shut your mouth, shut your mouth from Daniel Collins. There was a what's your problem? I didn't hit anyone. I just framed the ball from Maria Zachary. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just think I just think there needs to be a zero tolerance policy on hitting the ball away. And if there were, there's no way Maria Zachary would be doing it. That that's how I that's how I feel now. It needs to not be about sort of accidental, completely luck based outcomes of whether the ball you've hit away completely not in anger happens to hit someone in 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 the crowd or not. It just needs to be zero tolerance, consistent application of that rule, and and every now and then it would happen that a player would be unable to control themselves. But by and large, they wouldn't. There would be a an internal unconscious switch that would be flicked that would prevent them from doing it. And and at the moment, that switch isn't flicked inside tennis players. And um, what, in your opinion, would be an appropriate punishment for what Zachary did yesterday? Because because that to me doesn't doesn't say default. Oh, cripes, no. No, no, no. Okay. no. Oh, but goodness, something. no. Yeah, something. Something, you know, similar to a racket smash or a... Yeah. Although the yeah. racket smash rule is really unsatisfactory, isn't it? It's like you only get a warning if you do a really good racket smash and break <laughs> your racket. Like, <laughs> But I mean, but, but I, mean I, I, I think there's always going to be a bit of a grey area in terms of what's what's an appropriate punishment like the the one i always think about is mira andreva at the french open this year where she yeah. she swiped a ball away in anger and it it didn't hit anyone in the crowd but it was extremely dangerous and uh, to I, me that that should have been a default probably yeah, well, even uh, if it didn't uh, hit someone the, the problem is at the moment the um punishment is judged on outcome rather than intent right um which which is that's what needs to change. You're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is and then a sort of scale illogical. of a sort of scale yeah. of punishment. Absolutely. I, I mean, look, yeah. it is not a brilliant look. I don't think ever for the opponent to be going to the umpire saying, "Did you see that?" Um, <laughs> it's very, it's very, very Buscova. Yeah, it's n- not great. As much as you know, she oh, had a, no. she had a, she had a point, and it was really fun. Um, and I do love that she just doesn't care what people think of her, doesn't care that... She absolutely knows that's going to rile Maria Zachary, who no one's got a bad word to say about. You know, that's a that's a tough target, isn't it, to try and get defaulted. Um, and she doesn't give two hoots, and I kind of like that. But, yeah, tough scenes in that match. Very much here for Daniel Collins against Leila Fernandez. That is an intensity list fest, that yes. match. Um I- I, I was thinking that it's been a little intensity list section of the draw because um, you know Haddad Meyer I think would would probably make yes. a play for that. Um, Zachary maybe slightly different, but she is pretty intense. I, I, she's, I, I, don't, I don't want to speak on on behalf of your list. I don't feel like she is on the list, but she's she's maybe intensity adjacent. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, list adjacent. Yeah, um, but I mean. Collins qualified here, came through two, two, three set matches in qualifying and then absolutely destroyed Svitolina, beat Zachary in, in straight sets. First time she's won back-to-back matches on the tour since February. Mm. She's, she's rounding into form at a nice time. But, but Fernandez last night against Haddad Meyer, 
just delayed me going to bed because I was just so into this match. Like, Fernandez's best show in tennis was back. You know, first time she's beaten a top 20 opponent all year. She'd lost 10 straight matches to top 20 players. And this was just an absolute thriller. Could have closed out in two, had a match point, didn't take it, then lost a serve to love, lost the second set, and then sort of managed to recompose herself in that third set. And just the way she can work a crowd, I mean, is is extraordinary. I I always think of the 2021 US Open as as mainly the Emirata Khanu US Open because... You know, we were following it from from here in the UK. Emirata Khanu was such a big deal. I think if you were on the grounds in New York, it was really the Leila Fernandez US Open up until the final. Because Raducanu was winning all her matches easily. Easily. Straight sets. The, the matches right. weren't remarkable at all. Fernandez was playing the remarkable matches. The Fernandez-Kerber yeah. match is the women's match from that tournament that will stay with me, I think. Yeah, yeah hard agree and that it was that energy again uh, in Montreal last night first time she's managed to to win a match uh, there and yeah just the final game just sort of summed it all up a, a, an incredible point to set up match point she gave a sort of one of those lawnmower fist pumps oh. just inject it and then a forehand winner to win and again the crowd on their feet just Awesome to see uh, Leila Fernandez doing that again. It's been a while. That match is third on the centre court tonight at about midnight our time, mm. Matt. I'm I'm going to stay up for that. In fact, the centre court order of play tonight: Svantec Mukova replay of the French Open final, Vondrosheva Goff, uh, Fernandez Collins, and then Samsonova Samsonova Sabalenka, and you've got Stevens Rabakina, Kvitova Bencic out on. Um, out on the second court. It's an extraordinary order of play. And in the men's, the round of 16 looks thus. Mackenzie McDonald taking on Milos Raonic. Um, <laughs> yeah, M- McDonald having taken out Andre Rublev. Incredible yeah. result. And Which, uh, Marcus Giron taking out uh, Holger Rune in kind of middling Americans causing upsets news, to partially <laughs> quote David Law. <laughs> yes, I didn't see uh, Giron Runa last night. Uh, caught a bit of McDonald beating Rublev, though. And Rublev has a terrible record in Canada, which which I can't explain, but he does. <laughs> and McDonald has had a good good year. You know, he's 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 had some he's had some big wins on a hardcore, and when he when he peaks, the way he just hits it so flat and so cleanly, he's he's quite hard to quite hard to deal with. I think so solid, Mackenzie McDonald. Um, Davidovich Fakina thrashed Alexander Zverev last night. Six one, six two. Zverev was awful. His forehand was awful. I suppose he's had the the switch up from clay to to hard court, but still really terrible. Terrible tennis from him. Fakina, Davidovich Fakina now plays Kasper Rude. Yes. Uh, Zverev, who is 1-8 and eight this year against players ranked higher than him, which I think is an, an interesting stat because it sort of charts how, as his ranking has gone up, you know, which it has, and he's he has started playing better, he still hasn't been able to, to make that leap to where he was and, and beat those those real players of note. I mean, the one win he did have was was Tiafo at the French Open. Um, I mean, Davidovich Fakina is not in that category. He's not ranked higher than, than Zverev. But on his day, he's better than his ranking, Davidovich Fakina, of around 40. I, I sort of think of Davidovich Fakina as top 20 quality, really. Mm. Uh, and yeah, he, he absolutely, absolutely blew, blew mm. Zverev away. The other round of 16 matches in Toronto, Mizetti against Medvedev, Alcaraz against Hercatch, Murray Sinner. And then on grandstand today, Davidovich, Rukin and Rude, Taylor Fritz against Alex de Menor and Gamorfis uh, against Alexander Vukic, who's really making himself a thing at the moment, mm. isn't he, Vukic? And uh, Tommy Paul, yeah, who's very much 
not happening. He he sold me a dud <laughs> at Queen's and I fell for it. I bought that dud. Uh, Tommy Paul against Marcus Garone is the final round of 16 match over there. Um, can I tempt you at the halfway stage, Matt, into making predictions? Well, we have Slash to do that you. in the newsletter. Because <laughs> Sounds like I'm it. having to do it now. Uh, I mean, I went really boring in the men's and went for Alcaraz. Like, I can't, I can't make a men's draw prediction if Alcaraz is in the draw and Djokovic isn't and not pick Alcaraz. Mm. He won last night against Ben Shelton. So I'll stick with that. Women's. Very tricky. All the big guns are still in. They are. And yet an upset also feels possible. Sabalenka, maybe? Sure. <laughs> you? You went for golf. I went for... Oh, only because the others were taken. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were there were some um, interesting comments from Brad Gilbert about Coco Goff and how... He says, uh, this is on the interview on the WTA website, he says that he, he hasn't talked with her about the forehand at all. He said it's actually been, been his policy sort of not to mention that word. And actually what he's been doing is focusing on serve and return. Serve, stepping in after you've hit that serve and being really aggressive and return, stepping back and making as many balls as possible. And he said, he said my... My sort of plan is so that her mind is free when she's on the court. She's not thinking about the forehand. So sort of by not mentioning it, by sort of taking it out of her mind, he hopes that actually that will improve it. And it it has done so far. Look, I still think there are some technical things that probably do need to be worked on eventually. But for the moment, it really seems to be working. She does seem a lot freer on court. She is able to express herself and use all those other parts of her game, which we talked about on Monday and yeah, really fascinated by that Vondrosheva golf match yeah. today because Vondrosheva is able to pick on weaknesses and break players down and sort of scramble their minds a bit. So if Goff can stay in this mode and mindset that she's in, even against Vondrosheva, that would be a, a real step forward, I think. Yeah, that's really fascinating as a as a sticking plaster because when there's barely time in the off season to make technical changes to bed in technical changes to a game mm. I, I I still think that's what's required for golf and I hope that that is the long-term plan for her but in terms of just getting the show on the road that sounds mm. that sounds quite smart and very interesting to watch yeah cannot wait for both both orders of play today um yeah it's going to be a Cracking conclusion to both tournaments, I think. And we'll be back on Monday with David Law to talk about all of it. Today's episode mascot is Roxy, who's a Belgian Malinois German Shepherd Collie mix um, owned by Jessica Weaver. She's adopted from San Diego Humane Society in 2021, rather. She has endless energy, loves running, hiking, and, of course, chasing tennis balls. When bored, she's been known to steal avocados off the counter and <laughs> hide, hide them around the apartment. What a, what a unique um, thing to do. I've never heard of that before. Uh, here she is wearing a quite fabulous bandana saying, it's my gotcha day. Don't know what that means, but she looks like she's enjoying it. What an interesting cross. Uh, Belgian Malinois dogs are used a lot as police dogs. Police sniffer dogs, as are German shepherds, of course. So I suspect that lovely Roxy here uh, is both highly intelligent because... Malinois, German Shepherd and Collie. That those are some those are some very intelligent genes and a very good sense of smell. That's that's my diagnosis of Roxy. <laughs> uh so thank you, Jessica, for 
being a friend and bringing Roxy into our lives. If you'd like to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, the link to do that is in our show notes. You'll be getting access to our incredible Bocco bonus content and also supporting the pod in what we do year round. Uh, without Friends of the Pod, it would not be possible. So thank you to you for doing that. And if you want to become a friend ahead of the US Open and get access to that relived episode that Matt has hinted at that he's been researching. You're off to the Wimbledon Library tomorrow, Matt. Is that right? I am. Yes. Mm. First first time back there since Wimbledon. Looking forward to it. Oh, oh wonderful. Um, so, yeah, the link to that is in our show notes. The link to subscribe to the newsletter as well. Uh, tell your friends. Leave us an Apple Podcast review. I'll tell you about our mascots. David's got Maisie. I've got Xenia. And Matt has Darwin. Billy Jean who you've already heard from this pod, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And as discussed, shout out, we'll be back on Monday, as will David Law. So we'll speak to you then. Instacart shoppers, no groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.